Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our sermon text is recorded in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed, fellow redeemed. Life consists of a series of waiting periods. This time of year, children begin waiting for Christmas. We are waiting for Thanksgiving break. Teenagers wait until they are old enough to get their driver's permit and license. Those in the workforce wait for a promotion. Married couples wait for their savings to grow to buy a new house or vehicle. In all this, we see that the art of patient waiting is not learned at once. The church in Thessalonica grew impatient as they were eagerly awaiting their deliverance from this life of sorrow, the return of Jesus Christ to take all believers to heaven. This expectation grew even more intense when the church came under persecution and suffering. Today we are living in what has been called the post-Christian age, an age in which Christians have become a shrinking minority, and even many church bodies have abandoned the teachings of Scripture in favor of attitudes and practices of the times. Under this time of trial, it is easy for us to grow impatient in our waiting. We would like God to show up and show our enemies face to face who's in charge. Sometimes we're tempted to take matters into our own hands and try to convince others of our rightness by argumentation or even intimidation. Our text today promises us that a day of recompense shall come. He shall come again with glory to repay the troublers and to give rest to the troubled. It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. What is the basis for God's judgment against these troublers? First, they do not know God. The Greek word for do not know is the basis of our English word agnostic. This is the kind of willful ignorance described in Romans chapters 1 and 2. These troublers ignore the testimony of creation and their own conscience of God's existence. Many people today say there is no such thing as truth. In the face of this denial, we must be careful not to forfeit our claim to hold the truths of Scripture or to avoid our duty to proclaim these truths. Our ELS doctrinal statement, we believe, teach, and confess, declares, we confess that it is both possible to know the truth of God's word and to profess it, and that God 
requires us to do both, taking one stand on the word in matters of doctrine after diligent study of scriptures is not an act of human pride, but of humble submission to God's authority. Our text also tells us that these troublers do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an unfortunate translation, since the gospel is the sure promise of forgiveness in Jesus Christ to be believed, not a rule to be obeyed. It literally says, those who do not listen attentively to the gospel. Why aren't they listening? First Corinthians 1 answers, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In many cases, the troublers seem to have the upper hand in this life. They manage in many ways to harm believers by various forms of persecutions, promoting sinful acts such as murder of the unborn and extramarital sexual relations. But the time is coming and sometimes comes already in this life when they will receive their recompense, their just desserts. Christ will tell them on the last day, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the everlasting fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Unbelief damns. There is no teaching of universalism, the idea that everyone goes to heaven, found in scripture. Instead, our text gives us a vivid depiction of hell. It describes God in flaming fire taking vengeance. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. He shall come again in glory to repay the troublers with tribulation. But that is not the only purpose of Christ's coming. He will also give rest to the troubled Christians. Why does God allow Christians to suffer here on earth? What is the purpose of suffering? Paul notes that the faith of the Thessalonians grew exceedingly. By reminding of us, us of our own weakness, sufferings lead us to rely on the strength and comfort that is found only in the gospel brought to us by God's word and sacraments. Faith is also expressed in works of love toward one another. During an outbreak of persecution against the church in the second century, Christians were fed to lions, tortured and executed. Instead of breaking the church apart, they grew even closer to one another and to God. Even their pagan enemies had to admit, behold, how they love one another. What is your attitude? What is our attitude when we are being mocked or persecuted because of our faith? Do we patiently endure or so quickly lose our patience? 1 Peter 3 exhorts us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you, that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In our patient witness, we are to be able to answer others. This is to be done evangelically, remembering that it is God who converts people, not our persuasiveness. As Christians, we live in hope, the sure and certain hope 
of eternal life in Christ. God promises to give you who are troubled rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. On the last day, the Lord Jesus will be revealed visibly in all his glory, majesty, and power. We are also promised that when he comes in that day, he will be glorified in his saints. He will be glorified in his believers, in those who by faith accepted the perfect redemption through his blood. It has been said that anything worth having is worth waiting for. As we endure the sufferings of this life for the sake of our faith in Christ, let us take comfort in the fact that he shall come again with glory. When Christ returns, he will repay the troublers with tribulation, bringing eternal wrath upon those who persecute the church. Christ will also give rest to the troubled, telling us, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The hymnist describes our waiting for Christ's glorious return in the hymn, The Church's One Foundation. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our judge and king, you will come again with great power and glory to gather your people to your side. Give us grace to trust your word, which will not pass away, and by your Holy Spirit enable us to live in both patience and watchfulness as we look forward to your return. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.